Hey there, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to invite you to our next Collaboration Zone Zoom party. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we can share mind and business growth tips, strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you want to level up your business and get connected, book your spot today. Head on over to www. The road forward slash collaboration zone. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so grateful you're here. Today we have another incredible guest. I am chatting with my friend Aaron Shine. But before we get into that, I'm really excited about the Collaboration Zone Zoom calls. I start these off with 10 minutes of training. We talk about beliefs, mindset, emotional intelligence, the science of change. We also talk about social media growth. You know, um, we're going to be doing a clubhouse uh, little tutorial soon because I've been utilizing Clubhouse. I was really resistant in the beginning, but uh, I found that it is really a great way to connect and grow your business. After that, we do a speed connection round where basically you introduce yourself, who you are, what services you provide, and you can ask for connections, right? This is a great way to network, to ask other members of the group to give you feedback. And also, you never know, maybe their area of expertise can help you grow and scale your own business. And at the end, we do a 10-minute hot seat session or member training. And this is voluntary, so you can decide if you'd like to be a part of this. You can either be on the hot seat where you get to basically share your biggest roadblock. You know, what is stopping you from achieving your goals right now? What is an area that we as the group can help you out with? And then of course, member training is if you want to do a 10 minute training of an area that you are good in and you can showcase your skills and help the rest of the group. So these are recorded. They are used as podcast episodes. So this is a chance for you to show up and shine. So if you want to be a part of these calls, just head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone, and I'll see you there. So on today's episode, we are chatting with my good friend, Erin Shine from Shine Health and Empowerment Coaching. Erin shares her story of overcoming addiction also how she discovered her purpose in life. We have very similar stories and that's why I love connecting with people like Erin because 
this just further solidifies my purpose, right? That my experience and what I've been through were actually the keys to my gift in being able to help others. Uh, We talk about addiction in terms of food because she's a health coach. Uh, We also talk about how she helps people understand their gift and also enjoying life and learning how to handle emotions rather than numbing them. So enjoy this episode. Welcome back. I am hanging out today with Erin Shine. How are you doing, Erin? I am awesome. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Tamara. I am so grateful you're here. I can't wait for you to share your gifts of many. Um, I I can't remember what we made up a new word earlier, but um, there's so much that you have to give. So why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself and what it is you do today? Great. Thank you. Um, I work with women right now who um, thrive in sobriety. And what I mean by that is I want women to know that there is so much more out there than just getting sober and not drinking. Life is meant to be lived and to be enjoyed and to love yourself along the way. And that's really hard for us when we get sober. And it was a really, really long process for myself. And I want to make it easier for other women to go through that process to get to where I am today and living their best life. Oh, I love that. You know, that's my mission too, right? Is helping people discover their purpose. Now, You're a certified functional health coach, a life coach, a personal trainer, a mindfulness practitioner. So you (laughs) you wear many hats, which I think makes you such an expert on this. But, you know, I think we also have experience from our addiction. Like I I don't know about you, but, you know, when I got sober, I was like, well, who am I to do any of this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Right. I never looked at that aspect of everything that I've experienced in life is actually my resume, right? That's the key to my success because that's what people can relate to. So for you, what was life like growing up and and what led to your early addiction? Okay, so I grew up with a very loving family, middle class. Um, My parents were strict and I grew up in a Catholic environment. I do think that that's a big part of my story. And we had boundaries and we had rules and we had chores and, um, you know, there was, it wasn't real strict, but it was strict enough to know right from wrong, good and bad. Um, And I, and I do believe the Catholic church brought on some of that good, bad, ask for forgiveness, you know, you'll go to heaven. And um, I grew up in a really loving family. And I was always a free spirit from a very young age. I think I drove my mom crazy. Um, And my parents just didn't get me. I wanted, I was constantly wanting something new to do something different. And I didn't follow the path of what was, I say now, expected of me. And I don't know if they were really, if they had an expectation of, of my life to follow, but it was known to me without really knowing that the right thing to do was to go to college, graduate, get married, um, have kids, do well in one career for a long period of time and retire and live life after you retire. And um, I never, I didn't go that route. And so I felt less than in my family because that didn't resonate with me. Uh, So I, I rebelled. You know, I loved drinking and partying and I considered myself a party girl and I had 
fun doing it for many years. And, you know, at one point, and I can get into this a little bit later, my addiction really changed later in life. Um, but looking back at after I got sober, I had those addictive behaviors, not necessarily the addiction or the alcoholism at the time, but those behaviors of running from my emotions, numbing out, trying to pretend I was someone different, trying to live up to others' expectations and, and keeping my spirit down. And, um, and then it eventually led me to a point where I couldn't stop by myself. Mm-hmm. And it does progress, right? For me, it was the same thing when I drank at the age of 14. And I had had sips of alcohol before that. Mm -hmm. But I fell in love because like you said, it, it numbed everything. And, and somebody I actually just interviewed recently said, I drank because of my inability to handle my emotions. And I thought, wow, like if you were to look at and I love how you say addictive behavior, because for me, it runs wild. Like, it can be pills, alcohol, drugs, sugar, um, exercising, entrepreneurship, like there's so much yeah. of that. And I bury myself into things when I don't want to handle my emotions. And absolutely, I think, you know, you bringing up that path, right, that our parents want us to live, that society wants us to live. Do you think that a lot of people get trapped in that because I know that I did, right? I thought, well, I have to go to college. I have to do this. And if I don't, there's something wrong with me. And mm -hmm. alcohol was my way of numbing all that out. Yes, absolutely. I think society, um, you know, I have a cross addiction with eating, overeating, sugar addiction, um, and body dysmorphia. So I, that's a societal thing as well. People put you into a mold of what they feel like you should be. And when you're outside of that mold or you're struggling internally with something, then you compare yourself. With that comparison brings shame and guilt and we don't wanna feel that crap. So the easiest way to do that is to numb out those emotions by an outside source. And I do think society and expectations um, really do play a part into addiction. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And I mean, it's also that, you know, we have to be strong, this mentality, like you should be able to handle yourself and you should be able to do this alone. Like if you don't, you don't have willpower, you're not strong. And I'm finding the complete opposite today mm -hmm. is that so many people are highlighting mental health, for example, and it's like, it's actually okay to not be okay. And maybe if that's the message that we got out there, like, hey, if you're feeling depressed, you're amongst, you know, I don't know the exact population, but I know it's many, mm -hmm. you know, you're beside so many people in this world that actually suffer from the same thing. Like it's okay to talk about it, but you know, going back a little bit into your addiction, um, when did things get really bad for you and what did that kind of end look like? Cause I know I was always told the comparison thing that you mentioned, right? It's mm -hmm. like, well, I'm not like you, you know, I wasn't homeless. I didn't drink up vodka out of a brown paper bag, but yeah. you know, when did things get bad and when was the moment you stopped digging? Oh, I love this. It took me a while to stop digging. Um, <laughs> when I was, 30, I tried cocaine for the first time. And that's, you know, my 
growing up, people used Coke all the time. You know, I, I grew up in the 80s and speed and stuff like that. And it was just one of those things. It was a rule that I put on myself early on that I didn't realize was a rule that cocaine is bad, so I won't do that. But it's okay for me to drink and smoke some pot. So I drank and smoked pot for many years. So one time it was introduced to me when I was 30 years old and I took it without even thinking and I was immediately addicted. And I say that in the sense that I was hiding and stealing the Coke the very first night that I used it. And I moved on from cocaine to smoking crack and did that for three years, was in a relationship with that, um, where we had a lot going for us, a lot of good stuff, but addiction really, um, it was not good for our relationship. And I got sober at 38, so I used for about eight years. My brother is one that I have always said kind of saved my life. He was like, what the, what the fuck are you doing with your life, Aaron? You know, I was bartending at the time. Um, I was just living a loose, fancy, free, reactive lifestyle of when's my next fix? And I like to drink and party and I get to get paid while I do it. Um, and he was like, you're just meant for so much more. And I was like, I know. And deep down, I knew I was. I knew I wasn't living the life that I wanted to be living, but I was stuck in it. And so I tried to quit Coke a couple different times um, and did okay. But whenever I was drinking that resource, if it was available, I would all, you know, I all, I was just like, okay, let's go. Let's party. <laughs> and so it was finally when I realized that I had to stop drinking in order to stop the cocaine use. And I never thought that the alcohol was the problem. And truly it was, you know, it was the numbing source that I started with. I did start with food and then moved into alcohol. Um, and I had to realize that I had to give up all substances because once I start to use something, my inability to re, you know, be rational and to say no to something is out the window because it would be two o'clock in the morning and I'd be like, well, what now? You know, the bar's closing, where are we going? And <laughs> I'd wanna, you know, I'd be gathering the people to join me. And so I knew that I had to quit everything. And so um, my path is, as I went to AA, um, early in my sobriety, um, I got sober in Southern California and I met an amazing group of women that I clung on to. And um, if it weren't for them, I probably would not have the uh, sobriety story that I have. I, I relapsed once and, and that was it. Um, and I'm no longer an AA. Um, I have found that it wasn't offering me everything that I need on um, the personal growth and the mindset. There's a lot of mindset, personal growth, healing of trauma, healing um, spirituality. Um, and I didn't get that from AA. And so I found a different path, but it was a huge part of my early sobriety. And so now I've been sober for 13 years. I got sober at 38 and 51. Congratulations. I feel like you're sharing my story and <laughs> because it was the same thing for me, right? Drinking is my first love. Like that is what I fell in love with. And I actually, the first time I used cocaine, 
I had was smoking crack on my balcony with my roommates who were very good people like they were they were not did not fall into the realm of addiction. But here I am on the patio and a friend's like, hey, do you want to try smoking crack? I'm like, sure, why not? And I was instantly hooked because I could drink more. Mm -hmm. And I was like, giddy up, right? And it just progressively got worse. But I love how you talk about, you know, finding what's right for you. And I think a lot of people that need help need to do that. Because I think first and foremost, like the 12 let me say that in English, the 12 step programs are absolutely amazing, but there is more. That's why I wrote the book Beyond Recovery because relapse is not part of my story yet. And I say that because I know that if I let up and I become complacent, it could very easily be, but there is so much more. Like there's building that foundation in early recovery and then learning what is my purpose? Like, because if you can survive all that, you're meant for something else and you got the willpower whether you think you do or not you've got that gift so what did early recovery look like for you and what were those keys to you kind of building that really solid foundation leading to you to discover your calling well I don't think that I really understood feeling emotions until my second year of sobriety my first year was really just hang on and don't drink um and I am a huge approval addict. I want everyone to like me and I want my parents to be proud of me. Um, So when they found out that I was addicted to cocaine, that was kind of where I stopped digging. I was like, my mom and dad now know my secret that I've been hanging on to and living this double life for so long. And so my motivation early on was not disappoint them again. And I'm going to be really honest because that expectation um, of their love, approval, um, is, it runs deep. Um, and then my second and third year of sobriety is where I started to actually feel stuff. And I was like, what the fuck is all of this? I don't want to be feeling, I don't know if I can swear, but I did. Um, but I was like, I don't like this feeling. And I started to really connect with why I drank and why I hid, um, and what needed to be healed. Um, and I didn't realize that at the time, but, um, I think I got off. What was your question? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about the emotional too, because I was like, I cried more in my first couple of years of sobriety than I had in my entire life. But what was the key to you kind of building that foundation that led to you discovering your calling? Yeah. Here's a funny story. I was I broke up with someone and I was in like maybe my third year of sobriety and I was driving down the road and I was feeling awful like I just had all of these emotions I the playing of the tape of I'm not worthy and all of the crap that came up was was so prevalent and I was driving and I was like maybe I'll just stop at the bar maybe I'll just go have a drink and then my logic was like no you drinking is not an option. Okay, well, maybe I will stop and get cigarettes. And I was never a smoker. And I was like, well, how would I know what kind of cigarettes that I need to get? What do I know if I like? And then this whole thing kept going forward with like, I was like, I wonder if they have a variety pack of cigarettes. And um, <laughs> and so I just kept driving, thinking all of these things. And then I was like, oh, I could just drive into the lagoon. And I realized at that moment that I was trying to fix how I was feeling. 
with whatever I could do, whether it was drinking, smoking, driving into the water. I mean, I was like, where did this come from? And that foundational work started then, because then I knew that I had to actually feel these feelings in order to heal. I needed to understand where these feelings came from of unworthiness um, and being less than and not being approved of. Um, I needed to really get down to those root causes of why I drank in the first place and avoided me being myself. And I think that's a really big thing of coming into who you are in sobriety, being your authentic self, re-connecting um, to that person is really um, important because the stories and the lies that we've been telling ourselves for years is not the truth. There's so something's just so much more and it's deeper. And so we have to get down to the roots of those emotions of what we believe about ourselves before we can begin to heal. And so it was really at that moment of wanting to drive into the water get a variety pack of cigarettes and going to a bar that I was like, I need to feel this for some reason. So. I totally agree. And, you know, as you know, I'm learning a lot about emotional intelligence right now. Yes. And, you know, even today, you know, I've, I've done a lot of the work, I've built the foundation, but when I struggle is usually when there's an emotion that I don't want to handle because it feels icky, it feels gross. And mm -hmm. it's incredible how the smallest thing in our past can affect our belief system, right? Uh, you know, you, a lot of people, I think, suffer from this, especially when it comes to weight loss and their health, you know, their parents are like, oh, we were never very athletic, you know, oh, we were never very good at this. And so you grew up believing just because you haven't tried it, that you're also not good at that, right? So right. when we start to really dig into what our beliefs are, and then challenging those beliefs and go, okay, is this actually true? Because chances are it's not, it's just what we keep telling ourselves. Now, before we actually jumped on this call, we talked about, you know, there's so much life after sobriety. I mean, I know I was talking to somebody new recently and they were just like, you know, I, I'm afraid I'm not going to have fun anymore. I'm afraid that life's going to be boring. And I remember thinking the same thing. Like I was panicking day one going, am I really going to make a commitment to never drink the rest of my life? And that freaked me out because I'm like, how am I going to celebrate? How am I going to mourn? What if something happens to me? Like, how am I going to cope with that? But what I've realized is that now our conversations are more authentic. You know, I wake up the next day going, that was a really cool night. Like all the stuff everybody said still stands today because you're not being like, I love you, man. And so can you kind of talk about like the design, like designing our own life and what that looks like? Yeah. You know, we have choices today. Well, we have choices all the time, but our addiction takes over to where, you know, our choices are, you know, muffled. I want to say, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but in sobriety, I get to choose how I live my life. And I will tell you, um, the experience of COVID was a big eye opener for me as well, because I began eating again and kind of that cross addiction of moving towards something, not um, acknowledging my feelings, numbing out with Netflix, Netflix and food. And one day I woke up and I was like, I 
have a choice if this is the way I want to live. I feel shitty about myself. I'm not liking myself. I'm gaining weight. And I keep telling people that I'm gaining all this weight for attention or something. I really wasn't quite sure why it was such a big deal for me to point out that um, that I had gained weight. Like it was an acknowledgement thing. And I started to really look at that and go, you know what? I don't have to live like this. I get to choose today and I get to design my life however I want to. And I don't want to feel crappy about myself. And so I just started small with, you know, I started a morning routine where I'd get up and do some meditation and quiet time. I would journal, I would exercise, whatever kind of felt good that day. I didn't put a lot of parameters on it because I'm one that, that will go, it's all or nothing. I will be like, oh, I'm starting a morning routine and I'm going to get up at this time. And during that time, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And if I don't do it all, then I'm not successful. And so I really took the pressure off myself and said, I'm going to allow two hours in the morning for myself. And I had to kind of work myself up to getting up a little bit earlier because I'm not a morning person. But I was like, if I wanted those two hours to be whatever it was that came up, then um, I needed to make some changes. And so I still do that. I love it. And it really sets my day. And with that, I chose to eat better. It just felt better to eat better. And I'm, you know, losing some weight and I'm feeling better about myself. And so the vision of my life that I have, I'm not there. Life is a journey. Life is not a destination. You don't get there, um, in my opinion. And so I'm, I'm not where I want to be, that destination, but I am working towards it. And that is the process of life, um, the journey of life. I feel. So I have a bigger vision. I want more. Um, I know I'm meant for more. There's more out there for me. And I get to choose whether I work towards that or not. And I can stay stuck or I can be proactive. And it doesn't mean that I don't fall backwards a little bit, but I pick myself back up. So um, we get to, we get to choose to live our life the way we want to. And that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. It really is. And I, you know, I, that's why I love this space in podcasting because it does allow people the opportunity to be vulnerable. And, you know, my life isn't perfect. I still with the food thing, you know, it's funny you mention how, you know, we point out that we've gained weight because last year when just before COVID hit, actually, sorry, just when COVID hit, I was, I had just gone to Mexico. I'm like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. And that was my journey, right? Because I had the Road to Health podcast. And so I'd lost 30 pounds. And, you know, I had gone to a um, to a barbecue one weekend and you hear that, you know, oh, you look great. You look fantastic, right? Which actually I'm starting to learn that that can actually harm people. Giving them compliments specifically can affect people around you. And it can also, so the way you do it, like, you know, it matters as well. But it's funny now when I think about the summers coming up again, we're probably going to have another barbecue. I'm almost prepping myself because I've gained back 20 of those pounds because, mm -hmm. you know, we're inside our, our bubbles. Yeah. I almost feel like I have to pre-explain to people, by the way, yeah, I've gained a few pounds. And I'm like, why do we do that? So I love how you pointed that out. Like, why do you think we do that? I think we're judging ourselves and we want them to know that we know 
<laughs> if that makes any sense at all. But it's like, it's like you want to point out that you feel like they're the first thing they're going to see is that you've gained weight. And in their mind, they're going, oh, wow, look at Erin. She's gained a lot of weight. And you feel that that's the first thing that they're going to do. So you say, oh, I've been doing good, but I've gained a lot of weight. So it's like you, you, you tell them to validate their judgment. <laughs> that's not going on. And really, we have no control over what people think of us. Yeah. You no, know? um, they, they could be saying, oh, my God, she's, she looks fantastic. Look at how clear her skin is. Um, wow, sobriety is great on her, you know? Um, they could be saying whatever, but we make up these things in our heads and that we need to get that validation somehow. And I and that's that's my definition of I think that I want to validate that their judgment of me. <laughs> and it's none of my business. It's yeah. none of my business what they think of me. If I really think about it that way, I'm like, if I really want to know, I need to ask them which I probably don't really want to know. And it's none of my business. So, <laughs> And I hope that, you know, anybody who's listening and that's early on in recovery are going, okay, good. So still after, you know, years of being sober, these are still the thoughts that come to our minds. Like I was talking to someone fairly new yesterday, right? And I said, we're all sorts of crazy. Like, don't yeah. think that after a few years, your head is going to come out of your ass and everything's going to be great. Like, just embrace the fact that we're a little crazy and we're, that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us lovable. Like, we share that in common, right? We can, yeah. you and I could probably sit all day and compare stories and laugh at each other and be like, that's so awesome. I did the same thing. And I think that's what makes having a support network so incredibly important no matter what that looks like for people is yeah. going you're not alone like we're all in this together now you yeah. mentioned cross addiction which is mm -hmm. something that i spoke about recently on the show because it's something that with the food like you said i can go as soon as i have a little bit of sugar it's exactly <laughs> exactly like it was with my alcohol so can you get into cross addiction a little bit and what that looks like for you Oh, sure. Yeah. So I, um, I think my addiction started with food at a younger age. You know, I, I remember hiding food, um, because it was stuff that wasn't allowed in the house. And so I would get it and hide it. And so there was shame around what I was choosing to eat, you know, early on. Um, and then drinking, you know, when that took over, um, but I came back to food, you know, I still had, that shame and that guilt and that misunderstanding of how I felt and how to really deal with those emotions. And so we tend to go back to what is comfortable for us. And I know that going back to, and drinking is not an option for me. Um, and hope I'll never choose that. Um, because again, it's my choice, but, um, but food is a normal progression with with alcoholism. And I say that because our body metabolizes alcohol as sugar. So when we give up alcohol, our body is giving up a toxin of sugar. And it's like, I want more of that. And so it's very common for people to go into um, wanting candy bars and eating candy and things like they've never had a sweet tooth before. But physiologically, our body is telling us, you just took out a major toxin 
out of out of your body and it doesn't know what to do without it. So you need to fill it in a different way. Um, so there is that physiological response as well as the emotional response, of course. Um, and I do think that cross addiction, I think a lot of people um, while they're learning and healing um, and understanding their feelings, they still want to numb because that's what's comfortable and that's what they know. And so if they if they're trying and doing the best they can to not drink, and that's not an option right now, but other things might be an option because they don't think it's as bad. And so cross addiction can be gambling, sex addiction, sex addiction. Um, it could be smoking, like you've never smoked before and all of a sudden you're a smoker. Um, sugar, food, it could be um, just whatever. You know, cross addiction is prevalent. Um, I feel. And again, it comes down to understanding your feelings and healing with feeling um, and and understanding yourself and being okay with being who you are. And you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to, to piggyback on is you said that, you know, we're all sorts of fucked up crazy people. You know, we are. When I got sober, I first of all was like, well, if I just take the drink away, or the cocaine away, that was the first thing. If I just didn't do coke, then everything would be fine. And then I realized, okay, well, my drinking led to coke. So I was like, okay, well, if I just don't drink, then everything will be fine. Everything will be good and I'll be happy. And coming out of that fog and realizing that life is still in sessions, life still is happening and life is still crazy for every single human on the planet. And it's how we react that and how we deal with it, that we are still in life. We're on this journey of life and this path of life that's gonna have a lot of craziness to it. And it's just learning how to deal with it. And so it's almost like if I lose weight, then if I don't drink, then, and if we're living by that destination of then, then <laughs> we put a parameter around ourselves and we don't allow ourselves to just live. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a really big part of my sobriety is I acknowledging like, I'm not the only fucked up person, whether it's drinking food, cross addiction, sex, gambling, whatever it is, we all have an addiction to something and we want to numb our feelings and Facebook is one of those things and Netflix is one of those things now. It is, or YouTube, it is so easy to go down those rabbit holes and it can become an addiction because what it's doing is it's taking us away and getting us out of ourselves. So we don't have to feel. This is really what it comes down to. But life yeah. is life, it's a journey and it's all happening to every single person. <laughs> It is. And I, I was reading a book on the, the science of addiction and they mm -hmm. stayed in there that it's humans can become addicted to anything that gives them pleasure. And it's mm -hmm. true, right? Anything that we like, we want more of. And one of the things that I learned a couple of months ago, actually, probably last year when I started my whole entrepreneur journey, and now it's full time, so it's even more prevalent. But you mentioned the all in mentality. And I think a lot of us have that a lot of us don't realize how gifted we are but we also there's a fine line and i don't know about you but you said you know i'm all in i'm gonna do this i'm gonna start on monday and i'm gonna do it like a hundred percent i did the same thing with entrepreneurship i'm like i gotta get up early i have to you know get this 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 done and if i didn't do it i was like oh right and so 
how do you learn to reset? Because that's one of the things that I've really had to work on over the last couple of months is going, okay, this is what I'd like to get done today, this week, and later, and mm. really block my time off and be incredibly intentional about what it is I do. But I think for personalities like ours, we also have to have a reset. Like, okay, stop. <laughs> I need to back up a little bit. Yeah, if I find myself writing lists about lists, um, like I've got to get this done, and then I'll be like, oh, I'll blow it, break it out, and I have to do this today. If I start doing that, I start to notice that behavior. And that behavior then takes me to a place of, I'm not perfect, I can't get it all done, whatever the, the lies are that I tell myself. And so the way that I reset is when I get in bed at night, sometimes I'll look and go, what did I accomplish today? Let's look at the small wins, not everything that I'm not doing right or didn't get done, but what did I do? And another thing that I do is I, in the morning, I set an intention. What, what's my intention for the day? So if I am, and one of my coaches taught me this, um, so shout out to her, but how do I want to feel today? And how do I want to be today? What's my intention for the day? Um, and to give yourself permission. And I teach this in my, my coaching um, classes as well, is we have to give ourselves permission to rest. We have to give ourselves permission to not exercise a day. You know, we have to give ourselves permission to go with the flow and to look at what were the small wins and did I live up to my intention for the day? And not even live up to, I don't like to say that word, but am I, did I live intentionally for that reason? And it's usually not like get as much done as I possibly can. That's not usually my intention. <laughs> you know, it's usually something much calmer, more spiritual and uh, more feel good. And so um, setting an intention for in the morning is a good reset for me. Um, and then looking at what I did do well, um, however small it is, um, whether it's went from like, I only watched two hours of TV instead of four hours of TV at night, um, you know, whatever it is, or I read for a half hour before I fell asleep. Just looking at those wins really keeps life in perspective and, and gratitude, being in gratitude. Yes, yeah. gratitude's huge. I've actually just started doing what's called well-being therapy. Mm. And every night before I go to bed, and I have my morning routine as well, but I'll write down, you know, what are three positive characteristics? What are three things I'm grateful for today? What are three things I'm excited about? And then what were my wins for the day? And you actually have to sit and think, especially when it comes to the three positive characteristics, because mm. I don't think we take a look at our positive traits, right? We're always taught, and I believe, you know, assessing your weaknesses and seeing where you can actually turn them into strengths, but we mm -hmm. don't take a lot of time to go, what are my, you know, my characteristics? And to come up with three every single day is yeah. not easy, but I just think of, okay, what are three characteristics today that are positive for me? Like maybe I was loving, maybe I was empathetic, maybe, you know, um, and so I just do that every single day. And then I also write at the end, my intention, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I will do blank. Oh, I love that. Right. So when I go to bed, I'm thinking about it. So Very when I deep. open my eyes, I'm like, okay, today I'm going to do my meditation or I'm going to go enjoy a walk with a friend or something. So I think I love how you reset because I reset very similar to that. And that's yeah. been something that's definitely practiced. But... Oh yeah. And, and like I said, during, you know, the pandemic, 
is I ate for, and watched Netflix for the first six months and gained weight and felt awful. And I stayed in that cycle and I had to reset. I had to look at it and go, I am the only one that can reset this. Mm-hmm. Um, people can make suggestions. People can tell me I look good. People can, you know, whatever, but I have to be conscious to make that reset. And, and that's just it. Some, sometimes we go through life just on a reactionary mode. We're just reacting to what comes up. And I, that's how I lived my in addiction. You know, I was just reacting. I was not being proactive. I was not being healthy. And, um, so now by taking a proactive approach, but I get to make a change here and no, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And so that's where I started to share, steer my ship, you know, around six months ago, wasn't that reset and I have to do it a lot. Yeah. You know? Oh, I know. I'm right there with you. And <laughs> it doesn't, you know, I think it gets more automatic. Like when we start to do these things, it becomes more automated to the point where like, oh, okay, tipping, you know, on the uh, verge of uh, burnout again here. So let's do right. a quick reset and, and pull back. Cause I think sometimes we still think I can do that. I can get all that done. And then it's like, okay, ease up a little bit. So when, you know, how do you help people understand what their gifts are? Because you're in the coaching space mm-hmm. and this is something that I love as well, but how do you help people discover their gifts? Looking at what their values are and what's important to them and living intentionally around those values. Um, and, and what I mean by that, so family is a huge part of my values. Freedom. Um, I, I want to live as close to my family and see them as, as possible as often. But if I'm constantly turning down opportunities to see my family, that's not living in alignment with my values. And so by recognizing our values and then making a point of living within those values is really, really important. And we lose sight of them and then we have to reset, like you said. Um, but, but living off of what's really important to us. Time, time freedom is another one for me. I really don't like it when people are <laughs> in control of my time having to go to a job or work. I want to be able to choose what I do. And so that is one reason being an entrepreneur, I wanted to be able to live a life by my time where I get to choose what I do in the morning, what I get to choose and how long I choose to work. Um, And sometimes it still is more hours than I would normally put in at a job, but I love it and I'm enjoying it and it's mine. So that's another value that I want to live in. So that's the biggest thing is is really finding out what you what your beliefs and your values are and then living with intention towards them. Yeah, I love those. And that's I actually just spent an exercise on purpose and flow doing that really discovering what my values were. And Ooh, I love it. Oh, I know I could talk for like hours about this topic. But you know, for you personally, what I'll use two words here because I think motivational, obviously motivation comes from within, but what motivates and inspires you to continue to do what you do today? Oh my God. I love seeing changes in women where they believe in themselves and they start to make their own choices for their journey. It's, it's really powerful. I love it. It is just a beautiful thing. And Um, I was in the weight loss industry for a long time. So it used to be like people getting in shape and losing weight. And 
it, I, it all stems with our inner belief in ourself, I believe, with everything, our mindset, and seeing those changes are, is beautiful. I love it. It'll keep me going all the time. <laughs> I agree. And I think, you know, I always learned that becoming other people centered, and I learned this very early on in recovery, is that when we're actually focused on helping other people, it allows us to get out of self mm -hmm. and it allows us to actually show up differently in the lives of the people we care about. And I, it, you know, I, I, I talked about it on an episode recently where it was just kind of like, you know, people so often and I find women because we can be caretakers and we want to do everything for everybody else and we don't do what fills our cup. We don't do what brings us fulfillment and joy and therefore we don't show up the way we would like to show up in the lives of the people we love. And I always tell people like, what are you doing for you? Mm -hmm. Because when you start doing things for yourself, imagine how, you know, coming home at the end of the day and you're actually happy and you're in front of your husband or your children or your friends or whoever, and you're actually excited about your life instead of miserable, not wanting to be out going, oh, I have so much to do. All I can think about is this next thing that I have to go do that I don't love doing for myself. So I think right. I love how being other people centered really motivates you. You know, and that's one reason um, that I started Thrive in Sobriety was I was looking at and seeing a lot of my friends who had children going off to college. And all of a sudden they were empty nesters and I don't have children of my own. So all of a sudden they were empty nesters and they were like, I don't know if I have anything in common with my husband anymore. And I really don't know who I am because I've been a parent and a mom and that's my identity. And I was like, God, I could relate to that in my addiction. My identity was my addiction. Um, and that is not who I am. I just need to rediscover who I am again. And that's where stepping into your authentic self and learning how to thrive in your life is taking care of your well-being first. And that is one thing I teach the women that I work with is it's it's not selfish. It's actually selfless because you're going to give more to those that you love and more to those um, around you and more productivity at work because you're taking care of yourself, because you're happy, because you're living the life that you are designing and you are thriving in your sobriety. You're not just sober. You're not just identified as an alcoholic or an addict. And that's just not who you are. That's a part of your story, but it's not who you authentically are. So stepping into that authentic self and thriving in sobriety is, is huge. And we need to take care of ourselves. I love it. You're speaking my language. I so love it. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to learn more about what you do and get in touch with you, how can they reach you, follow you, all that good stuff? Awesome. Okay. So on Instagram, my handle is Shine Erin. Um, in Facebook, it's Shine Health Coaching. And I do have a sobriety women's group called Women Celebrating Sobriety on Facebook. And then Erin at shinehealthcoaching.com if they want to email me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Erin. I feel like we could have probably gone on for another hour or two, but I really yeah. appreciate you being here. Thank you. Oh my God. It was such a pleasure, Tamar. I appreciate you asking me to be here and allowing me to share my story to support and help others. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It is always so great to connect with people like Erin. And if you want to learn more about what she does or contact her, make sure you head on over to the show notes and reach out. And guys, remember, if you haven't already, come join us on a Collaboration Zone Zoom call. It's a great way to network and meet new people. I would love to see you there. Just head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash Collaboration Zone, and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.